0: And this is what it says. Then Miriam... Uh, you're, you're there, right? So make sure you're not just staring at the, map, the maps or something pretending. All right. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman, which otherwise this would have been a moot point. So they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? This is the dramatized version. (laughs) Has he not spoken to us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth, which I always wonder about because we assume that Moses actually had to write that down. Which if he really was, and of course scripture doesn't lie, that would be rough to write down, wouldn't it? You're like, dang. But the moment you're like, yeah, check me out, then God's like, erase it. Anyway, so, Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Arun and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. And he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream, and not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous. Bomb bum, bum, as white as snow. And this is the kind of white as snow none of us want, by the way. When we sing, white as snow, this isn't what we're talking about. <laughs> then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was a leper. You can imagine the surprise on Aaron's face. So Aaron said to Moses, oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us, in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey until Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people moved from Hatzorot and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Now, any of you kind of go, what, what? Perfect. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to open your word today on this beautiful, warm and muggy day. And on this day, Lord, you have therapy to perform in each of us. More than us just getting information. You tell us knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Lord, minister to us today. May each of us encounter you. See if there be any wicked way in us. Eradicate, exhume, remove. Oh Lord, today may we walk out of here burdenless of anything heavy. Free from anything that chafes at us. Lord, please, today, may we be overwhelmed in your goodness. May we be overwhelmed, Lord, with how good you minister to us. May you speak to each of us personally and profoundly, Lord, where we need to hear you today. Dig it up, pull it out, perform your surgery. May we have so much fun in your word and captivate us. I pray that your word would burst open and come alive, color in the black and white, Lord, so we get it, that every one of us gets it today. So, Lord, I pray today that you would have your way now. Redeem every second, I pray. And, Lord, if there be any who have yet to know you, let today be the day of their salvation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say today as I want any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true if I say so or not. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the final say. Now, probably all know or have heard of, whether you've never been to church before or you consider yourself a theologian, everybody's heard the name Moses somewhere. He's the Charlton Heston guy. The Let My People Go, the Ten Plague guy, the Red Sea guy. And even the unbelieving world knows how Egypt got it handed to them by the guy and through the Lord. But then what? You see, it's sort of like we love these moments as if we could put the role being played these days by Vin Diesel or The Rock or by somebody that's sort of obviously ben juice that can barely talk. And, and they come in and they say, let my people go. And then all these cool things happen. We come out, yeah, don't mess with me. I'm a man of God. And that's the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. That's the fun here. But just the same way, perhaps you know somebody that has yet to know Jesus. I mean, you've been praying for him. Oh Lord God, don't let them burn in hell. And even more so, Lord, don't let them live another moment away from you. This life that you have for us now. And so what do we do? We pray. And we pray, and sooner or later, somewhere down the line, the Lord gives us the courage, and off we go, and we share Jesus with them, and we say, "Would you like to receive this Jesus as Lord and Savior?" And they say, "Yes." And you go inside. You go, "Really? Huh? What?" But outside, you're like, "Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, then pray with me." And the natural thing in the Western world is to kind of go, tick. "We take our back. Let's move to the next person," as if the, the journey had ended. But the journey just begins. And that has been so much of this book of Numbers. And actually, to be honest, everything from Exodus 12 to this point. First of all, God had to deal with the bondage. It tells us, by the way, all the way back in Exodus chapter 3. And flip back there if you have your Bibles, just so you can see I'm not making this up. When God starts this whole beautiful thing, He had already promised it over 400 years prior through Abraham in Genesis 15. But in Exodus 3, verse 7, the Lord says, go ahead and get there. I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard the cry of their taskmasters, because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I'm coming down. I'm going to come down and rescue I've seen your oppression, I've seen your bondage, I've heard your cries, and I know your pain. That's how this starts. God doesn't start this by saying, darn it, I'm contractually obligated, there's some people down there and they're you know, kind of like flashing the bat sign in the sky, I better go out and put on my cape and save them. God looks and he says, I see your bondage. I've heard your cries. And the word for know there is the idea that literally means to know implicitly. It's more than just knowing from a distance. It's to know by experience. The word for sorrow for what it's worth there is a word there is different kinds of sorrow. You're probably aware of that. As we are to love the Lord with our heart, soul, and strength in the same way he talks about a physical sorrow, that physical beating and abuse, that emotional sorrow, even that spiritual sorrow, that part of being away from the Father who created you and And this is the term that's used when they culminate with all of these things. This sorrow encapsulates all three. So the first thing God has to do for these people is he has to be their savior. Before anything happens, before anyone's going to be able to call and say praise the Lord and worship him on a mountain and get the Ten Commandments and do all of the other cool and funky things that we see here, he has to become their savior. But for that to happen, he has to really know their sorrows. Please understand, that's how it will start with every one of us. It tells us this in Isaiah 53. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And like from, one, who, from, from, one, from whom, like one from whom men would hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely our sorrows he carried and our griefs he bore, he carried, but we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. That's how this starts. With a God that knows your pain, not from a distance, but steps in and takes the punch for you. And God says, therefore, I'm coming down. But to come down, I'm going to do it through a man. That should prepare us, of course, for Jesus. It's exactly the point. God came down to deliver us through a man named Jesus, who happened to be both God coming down and a man. But once God delivers them, and he systematically devalues and disqualifies every other thing that can be worshipped, so that when we leave, we are sure we got the right one, then he starts to reveal, as this is part two, that he is everything we need on earth as well. And to do that, he has to be putting us in these places where our own resources and talents and gifts just aren't enough. That will happen because the people are hungry or the people are thirsty and they can't just go poof walla a and water comes out or shake in some way and all of a sudden they've got food. And God will do the same. Now, please understand, these are needs. These aren't wants. This isn't like God's saying, I know you want an iPhone. This is what you need to do. Pray this prayer and shake and do this. He's saying needs, things you need, and you need to eat, and you need to drink. And with that, God shows he is the answer to every bit of that. And that will be the part of the journey. Now that the Lord has become your Savior, that, welcome to the journey with me. My name is Pastor Anthony Holiday. I'll be your tour guide. To our left, step one, or step two, actually, in that sense. The part where God says, you ain't enough, I know it, and now you're going to learn it. Any of you think that's a fun ride? And if you go, yippee skippy, I just learned I'm a loser, I can't do it on my own. No wonder why people call us those things. Because we are. The problem is, they don't realize they are. But then with every need, there's an answer. And the answer is the same. That's, isn't it nice that God goes to the... It's all the answers the same. It makes it easy. It's just God. Then with third, after he starts to do that and show he's the answer to every need, then what he starts to do at that point is he starts to build a people. Definitively through his word. That's what we would look at when God... When Moses goes up on those tent, in Mount Sinai. Coincidentally, during that same time, he puts himself in the center. And coincidentally, in that same time, starts then putting the camp or our life in order. Now look at that order. He's our Savior, shows He's the answer to every need, and then becomes the center, defines us as a people through His word, and then starts to define us and put our life in order. You know what's interesting? The place Sinai, Mount Sinai, Sinai means barrenness. You know what's interesting? Of all the places, this will be the one we know definitively at least is roughly a year we'll spend there. And it's interesting because in that time Moses will go up, he'll get the Ten Commandments. In that time, Moses will get the plans for the tabernacle. In that, he will get the social law. He'll get all of these things to organize. But interesting, we don't leave Sinai. We don't leave barrenness. Though we've been pulled out of bondage, we don't leave Sinai until the tent is set up God is in the center, and the priests are there serving so we can approach God at any given moment. Then God says, now we can leave barrenness. Isn't that interesting? You say, ah, oh, but here I am as a Christian. I said yes to Jesus. And if people bailed on you in that moment, then I get why you're there. Peter would say in 1 Peter 2, as Babes, newborn babes in Christ, desire the pure milk of the word that you would grow thereby. Get the word in you and let God start putting your life in order. Because if you don't do that, what will happen is your life will be like, you ever drop a rock in a pond and you watch all of the leaves that are in that separate in every direction? You ever have your life like that? It just seems like everything's going in every direction but the center? Well, that's what happens when Christ isn't there. And you get that point, and you see people, and it's like, I gave my life to Christ, and everything seems so barren now. And you know why? Because in the beginning, what happens is your friends leave, right? Because they're like, well, you don't want to go have sex? You want to go one party? You want to go do this? And you're like, no. And they're like, wow, you used to be fun. And the problem is that's the only thing you see, and you see all this leaving, but you don't see the, the part that God is if you, if, he does, if you don't put him in the center. But then he starts putting your life in order and all those same things. And you're like, who am I? And will I always be this person that I struggle with this and my identity is in this? And, hey, every one of us has identities and things that God has to restructure, reinvent every one of us. And if you're not willing to do that, it's an idol. Let's be honest. So welcome to step three. And then from that, he proceeds now that God is in the center Things aren't going to live in the camp like they used to. Now that God is in the center, he starts to trim, burn away, carve away, chase away the extremities, preparing me for entering into his fullness. Do you see how he did that? And all he does, by the way, is glorify himself in the center. And the moment he does, things start to flee for the outside. By the way, if something flees for the outside, when you fall in love with Jesus, let it go, please. Or what you're going to get is your hands fried as you're holding on to that which God is going to burn away anyways. And you watch yourself chasing after things, beloved, that just don't matter, but seem so important before this. So listen. He becomes our Savior. He reveals He's the answer to what we need, for all of our needs. He builds us as a people definitively through His Word, sets Himself in our midst, puts our lives in order carves away, burns away, chases away till the extremities. And in doing so, now he starts making us trumpet ready. That's where we've been. It's pretty simple how that works now, isn't it? You know the crazy part is? If you didn't think that through, chances are it's already happening to you, but you're freaking out because God's doing it anyways, and you don't realize what's going on. Imagine if you weighed 30 stones. And all of a sudden, by God's grace, you woke up one day and you were a healthy 10 stone. 12 stone, 13, 15 stone if you're a guy. And you looked at that and you went, I am so different. And then you opened up your closet and there are all these clothes for a much larger person than you are now. Imagine if you're like, I miss those clothes. I used to look so large and in charge in those clothes. God's like, I have a whole new everything for you. You're going to put on Christ now. Your whole life's going to be different. But please understand, in every one of these things, did you hear that this is what God is doing, not what you have to do for him? Could you imagine Andrew chasing after Deborah drops and he says, Will you be mine? She says, okay. And he's like, I want to protect you. I want to provide for you. I want to give you my presence. I want to give you my pleasure. That's part of marriage. She says, sure. Then they get married and he's like, from this point on, here are all the things you need to do to make me happy. Wouldn't that seem like she got a bait and switch? How in the world can we do that as Christians? I need to pray or God won't be happy. I need to read or God won't be happy. You know what? God won't be happy, but you don't do it to make him happy. You have a relationship with them. That's why we read. That's why we pray. We do it out of the love we have for them, not to gain in Christ. We don't worship to get God's blessings. How dumb would that be? Hey, if you're going to, I mean, if you know when someone maneuvers and gives you sort of sweet talk to get something from you, how much more God? God, I just want to praise you because if I could praise you, you're going to give me that new Bentley. God's like, really? That ain't praising me. I know better than that. So in this trumpet-ready life, moving our in- into this text, we, it was chapters 10 through 12, that's where we are preparing ourselves for where we're going to stare at the banks of the promised land and decide whether we really want to go in or not. That starts next week, by the way. Now, if you remember back in chapter 10, what we had to do is we had to let go of the Hobab. Remember that? That was his father-in-law. Hobab, by the way, remember, means cherished. And I get the idea here, because if your father-in-law is there, you'll never be the man and the leader you're called to be. And somewhere down the line, God calls us all, to, well, from the beginning, He calls us to grow up, to become mature in Him. And for that to happen, we need to let go of some of that stuff, which, by the way, is all the symbols of our past. And when Hobab leaves, he leaves the camp, so I know outside of the camp, hear me now, outside of the camp is my past. And if I want to walk outside of the camp, it is amazing how some of those things that you've been free from start to haunt you now. You're like, I thought I've been delivered from this. Yeah, but you're going back to your past. God's going to remind you how nasty that was. And the struggles, and the slavery, and the doubts, and the fear, and the overwhelmingness. All of that stuff that we experience, man, think about it. What happens is we go back there and now we're insecure again. And now we're freaked out again. And now we don't know what in the world and we're in bondage again. What happened? You know what happened is God says, that's what your world's like without me. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? you got to let go of that whole bad. And then he started frying the outskirts of our camp. Oh, that was the place where the ashes of smoldered discontent started to take root. Remember that? Oh, Oh God doesn't want to why we should just go back to Egypt. We should just go back to Egypt. Oh the grace of God and the mercy that He would fry that voice before it gets deep in you. It'll never be at the center of the camp. You'll never hear at the center of the camp you should go back to your old life. You'll never hear at the center of the camp where the Lord makes himself clear, Oh yeah, think put you first. This is who you should be and I should and just tell God and He's just gonna have to follow you. You're not gonna hear that at the center of the camp. What you hear at the center of the camp is not God saying, I hate you, you need to change this and this. What you'll hear at the center of the camp is, I love you, please come near. That's what you'll hear at the center of the camp. See, the difference is God doesn't have to say, see this, isn't this horrible, you're a jerk. See, if God shows you anything, it's, I guarantee you, it's to show you to say, it's pretty gross, isn't it? So that you'll be happy when he takes it away. Imagine if God actually showed you a tumor inside of you that you had. Just take a look at He showed it how nasty and gross it was looking. And then God said, "Can we agree this is bad before I take it away, so that you don't fight me on the surgeon table?" But we'll do that sometimes. But God finds the outskirts of the camp, and then He drives out that, that out of the camp the Christless cravings, right? Oh, if we could just have different meat. Now, outside of the camp, beyond the camp is my past. Outside of the camp are the ashes of those that got fried because of their discontent, because of their constant complaining. Outside of the camp are are the carcasses of countless quail and the graves of craving. Where we said, God, I know you're supposed to be enough for all I need, but you're not enough for all I want. There's a difference. To speak differently than David, who would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He really is all we need. And the great part is, see, understand, that's the part you don't have much a say in. The want is the part you do. That's the decision you make with your heart. So let me ask you something. Would you rather be needed or wanted? I mean, doesn't need come with responsibility? I'm not a fan of of volunteering for responsibility unless it's necessary. When I hear someone say, I need you, then I get that, uh uh-oh. God is all that we need. He created us that way. But he wants to be all that we want. Does that make sense? That's the choice our heart makes. But what we learn, that grave of cravings, so outside the camp are quail carcasses, the ashes of discontent, and are the graves, this great grave of people who craved outside of him. But what we learn is that these cravings come in different shapes and sizes. And today we learn that here. We've moved now from Sinai, barrenness, to this place called Kibroth Hata'ava. Do you remember that? Kibroth Hata'ava means the graves of craving. And from there we move to this place called Hezeroth. And Hezeroth or Hatzeroth means an enclosed park. God now puts us in this little enclosed place for this to happen before we move one more time. Did you notice in verse 1 it says, then Miriam and Aaron? Which tells us, by the way, and who, which one, by the way, gets the leprosy? Miriam. You kind of get the idea who was behind this. There was a sister, and she was not happy. Now, Miriam, by the way, for what it's worth, just so you know, all the way back in Exodus 2, when the baby was born, and they saw he was cute, so they decided to keep him, and, and they put him in the ark, and they kind of float him, and you see that kind of thing while in the back, and all of that, and while all that's happening, if you remember, the sister follows at a distance. Assumingly, she's actually even over, older than Aaron. Aaron's three years older than Moses, which means he's only three during this time. You don't want him running through the bulrushes. Which one of you sets a three-year-old to run through the lakeside? Sister's a little older, sees the baby. The baby winds up with the Pharaoh's daughter, if you remember. Pharaoh's daughter goes, oh, look, it's a Hebrew boy. And the girl, and she's like, well, how are we going to take care of this? And it was the sister that said, hey, you know, I bet we could find some woman that could nurse the baby for you. She goes, yeah, that's a great idea. Why don't you go get her? winds up getting Moses' mom, who obviously is ready to breastfeed since she had the baby. I mean, it just came that way. came part and parcel. And thus, mom gets to be with the child until he's weaned. Hey, that was Miriam who was behind that. Well, the Lord, we can agree. But Miriam was part of that. She was instrumental. In Exodus 15, when God opens up the Red Sea, closes up the Red Sea, and Moses, the guy who argues with God because he says he's not good at speaking, then writes the first worship song in Scripture, now, if he stutters, it's more maybe a rap song. But whatever the case is, it's clearly something cool. And he writes, and here's the thing, he's like, oh, the, you know, I will, the Lord has triumphed victoriously. The horse and the rider he has cast in the sea. And lo and behold, the sister jumps out, grabs a tambourine, just like some girls always want to join the band, and they got the tambourine, and they're just like, tick, tick, tick. and she basically kind of does the call and response with him. But this is what God says, by the way, in Exodus 15:20. Then Miriam, the prophetess. That tells me that this girl actually is prophesying. It doesn't say she calls herself a prophetess, or she put an ad in the paper and said, I want you to know I'm a prophetess. Show me your cards and your tea leaves and I'll show you. It, it says that she's a prophetess. That's what, what the scripture says. So what is it like this girl isn't being used by God? By the way, for what it's worth, the next time we're going to read of her will be when she dies in Numbers 20. So this is her big, great moment. Ladies, would you like this to be your big, great moment? Hey, I put you in the Bible. Really? How? Oh, you know that moment where you stood up and became a leper at the end of it and then you had to put out of the camp for a week for you to cool down? Thanks. In Deuteronomy 24, God uses this as an object lesson in verse 9 when he says, Remember what the Lord God did to Miriam on the way when you came out of Egypt? Hey, don't forget about that. And you know, it's like one of those moments when a parent has to look at the, the child and say, Hey, you remember what happened last time? You want that to happen this time? Thank you, Miriam, for this. A prophetess. Ahron. Ahron, if you remember, became high priest. I mean, this was the guy, I remind you, and, and please understand, if you read carefully that, that showdown between Moses and Pharaoh, what you've got to see is the way that it really looks. Because the way that it really looks is actually, scripturally, is very, very different. I'll show you kind of how it really looks. So, this is kind of how we have to do it. So... You see, Moses' heir is arguing with God. As Moses is arguing with God, I'm not God, so don't (laughs) don't worry about that. We're all clear on that. Okay, so this is kind of how it works. Thank you for this little thing. Okay, so here's the idea. It's that it says that Moses doesn't want to talk to Pharaoh. No, whether he thinks he just isn't good at Egyptian or whatever, but what it shows in Scripture is like this, just my brother says, God says, let my people go. Oh, that wasn't in Spanish? <laughs> yes, yeah, I... Or else, you, you know, your frijoles are going to be very, very refried. All right, so listen, um, here's the idea. Is that throughout Scripture, what you realize is that Moses whispers into Aaron's ear, and Aaron stands up and does the work. That's what the... I mean, think about how funny that would look for Pharaoh. He's like, what is this? Is this like the comedy channel? And then it gets to the better part because then what happens is I challenge you, prove me wrong. Look in Scripture. Moses will say then, we're going to stand at the Nile. Now, wave your wand, your stick, not wand because this isn't like Harry Potter, but wave your staff. So wave your staff. And the water turns to blood. It isn't Moses that goes, How do you like me now? It isn't that at all. You see, the reason I say that is, as God said, I want to use you, Moses. And Moses is like, I'm kind of afraid. I really don't want to speak. I'm I'm like slow in speech. God's like, whatever. He's like, no, 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 really, I don't. He's like, God's like, I made your mouth. Don't you think I know? He goes, and I'll be with your mouth. And Moses finally goes, okay, so I don't have any arguments. Could you just send someone else? If you have a teen, you notice how this works. There's like a handful of things that get rolled out, and these are like really, really great excuses in my head, and when you disc golf, and they're like, you know, okay, let's just be honest. I just don't want to do it. God's like, okay, now that we both know that, okay, we'll take your brother. So the reason I say that, which is gracias, (laughs) amigo. The reason I say that is that these two people have been active. And then, remember, of course, when we think of Aaron, what do we think of? The golden calf incident, right? Uh, don't you just love that? I mean, you know, it's like, hey, Samson, what do you think about with Samson? Goliath. hey, David, what do you think about David? It's like, great, if you really want to be in Scripture, don't blow it. That's the one thing people are going to know. When you're a kid, David and Goliath, you get older, David and Bathsheba. That's the way that works. If you don't know what that is and you're young in the Scripture, that's okay. You'll get there. But please, please, please hear me. When these two people get together, he's high priest. I mean, the guy gets the coolest clothing in the entire camp. He's the only guy that gets custom clothing fashioned by God. Imagine that. God's like, "Mm, okay, this is what I want. Give me some 12 stones. Precious. Precious stones means, okay? All right. And then give me two black stones for the shoulders and touch it by solid gold. We want solid gold. I mean, imagine God didn't do that with anyone else. And that's not enough for Aaron. Maryam's a prophetess. I mean, she opens her mouth and the word of God comes out of her mouth. But that ain't enough. You know why? Because Moses married an Ethiopian woman? What does that mean? Now, please hear me on this. Experts all over want to argue over it because they all, you know, well, we know. No, you don't know. You know what we do know? She was a Kushite because that's the word in the original language. Kushite, by the way, is one of the relatives or the descendants of a guy named Ham. No wonder why it's not kosher. Who was one of the three guys that was the sons of Noah. And so he winds up populating. By the way, a lot of the people that come from him tend to be enemies of Israel. So you kind of get the idea, at least in regards to that. But there is no law in Scripture keeping him from marrying an Ethiopian. Nowhere in Scripture. By the way, we need to know that. Now, we already know in the New Testament, it says, by the way, in Christ, there's no black or white. There's no slave or Greek or, you know, in regards to there's no slave or free. There's no there's no Gentile or do in regards to the sight of God. He's not looking and checking your skin color. Hey, if, if you know, if you are somebody and you're marrying somebody that's very, very different from you, praise the Lord, if the way the difference doesn't mean that in regards to Jesus. Because if Jesus really is the center for both of you, that's what really matters. Now, granted, there are some places in the world you might have a little bit of trouble for the way that your choice, but hey, let's just be honest. You kind of knew that when you got in it. But let's be honest any marriage, you're going to have challenges regardless. But please hear me. Somewhere down the line, let's just put it in the simplest sense. Moses, some, and some, by the way, there are some that are like Josephus and guys that kind of have a lot of street cred in regards to the archaeological setting. Um, these guys would say that actually this happened to be um, a princess from Ethiopia. Now, I'm not exactly sure when Moses had time to kind of drop down there and get himself a girl like that, but he was in the north of Africa with Egypt. On the other side, there are other people like Abel, Azra ben Abra, Azra, Abel Azra, these guys that are sort of you know, Hebrew- Scholars that say, actually, this was Zipporah. Unlike Zipporah, she was a Midianite. But that happened to be, that whole area, by the way, at that time, was actually called Cushite territory. In the end of it all, God hasn't made it clear. Can we agree on that? And if God hasn't made it clear, then clearly that must not be the most important thing. Because it isn't like God says, if you're really smart, you'll figure out the important thing. This isn't like God actually recruits Sherlocks. It tells us what is simplest is most important. This is what we do know. Moses made a choice that it appeared to be that Aaron and Miriam disagreed with. Scripturally, it was not sinful, but it was something they disagreed with. Does that make sense so far? And that's what started this. Now, understand. Every human being, I don't know any human being on the face of the planet, is going to make every choice that you're going to agree with. And even people God calls to leadership. Can I just say, people that God called to leadership are still people that God calls to leadership. Well, they should be spirit-filled. Yeah, you should be spirit-filled too and forgive them. Yeah, but they made a bad choice. Okay, good, you throw the stone when you make perfect choices every day. Now I'm not saying that because I'm in a situation where I think we're you know you got a reason to throw stones. What I'm saying is, is pray for people that are in leadership. We get we get stricter judgment. That's serious, they're serious business. Because God, you know what the problem with me is? It's like all this stuff is like recorded most of the time. And imagine it's like for it's like when something starts happening and God says, hey 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 hey, PT, do you really want me to roll the MP on this? I still got it right here. It's in your library. I could go online right now. We can listen. Oh Lord, really? Please hear me. Somewhere down the line, Moses makes a choice, and they just don't like it. We've decided to carpet the building. It, understand, please. Understand, being in this, being a pastor or called even called one for 25, 26 years now, it is amazing what people freak out about. They carpet the building. They paint the walls a different color. They decide to. And it's amazing. They put a sign out. People go, oh, I don't like the sign. I'm moving somewhere else. You're like, well, okay. Good luck with that. We disagree. We don't like... Now, we don't read anywhere, by the way, about this girl ever being an unbeliever. We don't read anything about her other than the fact that she's Ethiopian or Cushite. But then notice, who do mary And let me be careful. Who do Mariam and Aaron speak to? Look in the text. You tell me. It really doesn't say, does it? It just says they spoke against him, what do you think that would look like? Did you hear what the leadership decided? i speak against it. Oh, man, that's how... mm, You know what? And today, they're going all vegetarian. What kind of group is this? You know? Oh, and can you believe... Oh, he wore shorts. He wore shorts. 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 And they go for it. And you know what the amazing thing is? It doesn't matter what it is. You can stir something up. Did you hear that the pastor wears black socks? So it's black socks. Oh, it's one of those black sock wearing shirts. It doesn't matter what it is. You just say, he breathes. Oh, he breathes. I can't believe he breathes. (laughs) Someone's going to flip on it. And you know it. And you know it. Here's the cool thing. God does not take this lightly. Miriam, her name. There's our clue. Miriam means rebellious and bitter. Who names their child that? Well, some of you are like, my parents could have named me that. Listen, for instance, the same word for Miriam is used in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 9, when God says this is a rebellious and lying people. The word for rebellious. In Job 23, verse 2, the same word "miram" is used when it says that my complaint is bitter. Same word that's used. And all of a sudden, this whole text unlocks and explodes on me. I get it. Hey, a whole bunch of people could have complained. And understand, God could have just said, he didn't have to list who it was. But I think he did for two reasons. One is because you know how much it hurts when it's your family you ever have somebody actually sit down and say you know I'm concerned for you because you're going overboard oh I'm a Christian too but I'm like a you know moderate you know what God calls moderate there's another word for it because I know it's a moderate like you're not too hot and you're not too cold moderate like lukewarm I'm just concerned for you I'm saying this because I love you if you love me, you'd want me to try to OD on Jesus. Because I want to follow him with everything. I learned this surfing. Now, I'm not a great surfer, but I liked to surf when we were back in the States. When that wave comes and it's just about to break, you got to commit. And if you kind of half-heartedly do that, understand you need to get down into that face, that whole part when it starts to rise. If you don't get down into that, the top of it decides to throw you. That's called pearl diving or getting pitched. And the best part about it is once you do, it isn't like that's the end of the journey. Oh, that's the beginning. Because that whole wave that's about to break decides to do it on your face. So you're like, uh, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. And that's just a very nice, tender reenactment of the experience. Let me exaggerate it by adding two minutes to it. And you go in the middle of it about 16 times. And God's like, look it. When it's time to get in this... Big, hard, commit, and enjoy yourself. But you watch people get pitched all the time because somehow they're at the top of this thing, but they're kind of going, "Mm, maybe I should get in a little bit. You can't get in a little bit. It's like being a little bit pregnant. It doesn't work. Please hear me. Somewhere in the camp was rebellion and bitterness, and somehow those two words are the same word here. And I get it. Because what bitterness is, is unresolved grudges. It's unresolved forgiveness. It's unresolved, I should say, unforgiveness. And that tends to be the pocket of the slingshot of rebellion. I don't have to listen to them. I don't have to. And you know where it goes? Who do they think they are? Like, who died and made you boss? Imagine saying that to Jesus. Who died and made you, boss? Jesus you say, I did. (laughs) Has God only spoken through you? You know, I am a prophetess, says Mary. Has God only spoken through you? You needed your brother to speak to Pharaoh. Who do you think you are? And then it says, after that, notice the statement that after that, it says, the Lord heard it, and then the man Moses was more humble. That's where God inserts this. He didn't insert it at the burning bush. He didn't insert it through the entire time with the showdown with Pharaoh. He didn't insert it at the Red Sea. He didn't insert it when he had to do all of these things to get water and food. When he got the Ten Commandments, when he actually got the blueprints for the, for the tabernacle, when he actually had to show all of the sacrificial system in Leviticus, the first seven chapters, none of that is where God says that He says it here, and I get it. Hear me, because real, honest humility is shown in this moment. Because you know what he doesn't do here? He never fires back. Did you notice that? Now, whether they're speaking around to everyone else, and by the way, can you imagine how successful that would be for your older brother and sister to start that kind of whisper campaign among a camp who I remind you just in the last chapter were all crying in their tents. I'm sorry, at the door of their tents. Like an air siren. And it's like, you know what? Which would you rather have? Everybody at least being honest and open at the tent? Or everybody whispering inside the tents. Because notice God says, come out, is what he's going to say, which means they're in somewhere to come out. And whether they're all in the same room or not, we don't have. All we know is that God calls the three of them out forward. Please, please hear me. If that is in you, this is the route you're on, whether you know it or not. See, God could have chosen to just fry Miriam, couldn't he? He's already done that, so we know we can. We could do anything, but he's already shown he's got a track record. That's precedent. He could have just had her arms and legs fall off, or better yet, her mouth fall off, or just get sewed together. But he didn't. What's the thing that God gave her? Leprosy. Do you know what leprosy is? I mean... Scientifically, it's an acid-fast, rod-shaped bacteria that gets into your mucous membrane that starts to kill all of your nerve endings, so you get numbed to death. That's why your skin turns white, is because your skin needs those nerves to say, regenerate. If those nerves aren't working, then the skin doesn't regenerate, and you get all white. It's just old skin. That's why your toes and fingers start to die because they'll fire this part from your heart and your nerves start saying, we need more blood here and if it doesn't get there, well, then that's what starts to happen. You get numb to death. Please hear me. That's what happens with bitterness is you get numb to death. Ironic. Because just the mention of the name sends some form of negative fire inside of you. But then you're like, but you know, here's the crazy part. Do you know what you numb yourself to? Not to the person. You still feel it, right? That person walks in the room and you're like, "Mm." So clearly you ain't numb to them. Do you know who you become numb to? You become numb to God. And that same heart that used to skip a beat when you'd hear the name of Jesus. I mean, that same heart that would go, Oh God, and when praises broke forth, you raised your hands and you said, Yes, God, I surrender all. I just want to give you everything. That same voice now is like, Yeah, yeah, well, that's cool. Remember when you used to read the Bible and go, whoa, when we all looked kind of like David? He's like, whoa, man, I'm just reading this. And you're, and you're like, whoa, yeah, David's getting he's like, yeah, whoa. And you're like, yeah, David, yeah. But then the bitter heart goes, David, don't worry, you won't be like that forever. And it's like, you know what, you, you want to go get out of the camp and get clean. because what happens to us. And we know we should be in church, and we know we should be here, but we ain't feeling it. Because, I mean, you know, and it doesn't matter how much I rant and rave and dance and do whatever, it doesn't matter because the bottom line is a numb heart's a numb heart to anything. Whether that's a pinprick or a saw, it's still not going to feel it if it's really been numbed. And bitterness does this to us. And listen, the bottom line is this bitterness was born out of jealousy. Why do they? You know, that was me once. Or, you know what? Nah, that's not me anymore. Look at how come that person gets attention. And why does that person get elevated? And why is this happening? And why don't I get... But meanwhile, we're getting farther and farther out of the camp. And we're wondering why God isn't picking us up and cuddling us and dragging us to the front. Because that's the part that's our choice. Remember, the wanted is our choice. And God wants to be wanted by us. And so here's Miriam, and she's like to, to Aaron. Imagine the conversation. Brother and sister, right? See? And she's like, and she's like, you know, bro, kind of concerned about my younger brother. Think of how we can make us sound Christian, right? Kind of concerned about my younger brother. What's wrong with him? Well, you know, he's kind of getting all high and mighty. Oh, yeah, you're right. I was kind of making decisions. Do you remember what happened last chapter? It wasn't just the Graves of Craving. In between, God, he did something. Moses did something. Do you remember what it was? He elected 70 elders. Do you remember that? And I wonder if Miriam was like, so how come I didn't get to be one of those? I am a prophetess. Go check me out. I'm a prophetess. They all got to prophesy once. I do it regularly. They got that one time. Those are two guys in the camp. Remember that? And they told them, I don't know. Uh, That's what I do for a living. And these guys are also special because they did it once? You're right. How about you? Are you being neglected? Yeah. I mean, I remember when Moses and I were like Batman and Robin, and I was the Batman, thank you. He'd say little things, and I'd say, Yeah, my brother said, Let my people go. I was the mouth. know. Yeah, well, and then all of a sudden, someone kind of knocks at the camp. It means, Hey, how are you guys doing? Hey, we were just having a conversation. Well, what was it about? It was about Moses. Oh, really? Tell me about him. I love the guy. Really? You love him? Well, you don't know him like us. We're his brother and sister. Really? Tell me more. Well, I'm only saying this because we should pray. No, you ain't. I'm saying this because as a Christian, I'm concerned. If you're really concerned, you go to the one who can fix it, which isn't a with all due respects. And she knows it. Do you see how that works? Man, I'm telling you what. Who's, oh, he, he elected like these 70 guys. Who are they? We don't even get their names in Scripture. That tells you how important they are. Except these two guys that were in the camp, they didn't even show up. Who do they think they are? Do you see how that starts playing out? It's like, I was the mouth. And all of a sudden, God's like, yo, yo, mouth! Come on out here for a second. Let's call it out for what it is. Do you see that? And it says that the, his, we read that God called the three of them out, which, by the way, means that Moses now has to be aware of it. Now, maybe he was already. We don't know. But what's clear is he's going to be aware of it now. And then God calls the three of them out. And please don't miss this, because I think this is just so powerful. And please understand, when we get around to this, and we're almost done here, believe it or not, when we get around to this, I want us to deal with this. I want us to deal with this. And the bottom line is, the moment you start comparing yourself to anyone but Jesus, you're going to think you got something coming to you that's good. And that's where the danger is. So the Lord came down in a pillar. It says, verse 4, remember, suddenly the Lord spoke to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Notice she's at the end of it now. Come out, you three. To the tabernacle of meeting, God says, I have an appointment now for the three of you at my house. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the door of the tabernacle. Now, I kind of get the idea at this point, the pillar started to turn vertical. God came down and then he says, Aaron, Miriam, step forward. Any of you get a uh-oh if you were one of them. So he says, hear my words. If you're a prophet or prophetess, I can make myself known through a vision. I can make myself known through a dream. It's a dark saying. In other words, it's not perfectly clear. You get just enough that you need. Moses, on the other hand, he's faithful in all my house. Notice he doesn't just say, I speak really nicely to him. He says, this guy's faithful in all my house. You guys aren't being very faithful right now in my house. You know what you're doing? You're dividing my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, not in dark sayings. So, in other words, it's like, Miriam, when I want to speak with you, I'm going to call you. When I want to speak with Moses, we get FaceTime, even plainly. He sees the form of him. Now, why were you not afraid to speak in this way? The anger of the Lord was aroused. But notice, by the way, and let me make this clear. Look at verses 9 and 10. Here's a quick quiz. Just one question. Read them once first, and then I'll ask the question. Ready? Read verses 9 and 10. Go. Ready for the question? What came first? The Lord leaving or the leprosy? The Lord leaving. Did you see that? Remember, the whole idea of the leprosy is, I'm not going to have that around me. That numbness, that isn't around me. Oh, you're going to get it, but you're not going to get it while I'm here. The Lord departs first. Listen, the Lord departs first. Then comes the leprosy. I guarantee you that was exactly what had taken place in their hearts. So the Lord had departed first from their importance, then came the leprosy. You know what it is? When there's leprosy, by the way, the insides still start to feel, so you, it all becomes about you. And it's like, well what, what do I feel now? What do I feel? Hey, truth is truth whether you feel it or not. Now there are some days I wake up, I feel gravity. Some of you know what I'm saying? Some of you that are older? I wake up and like gravity's like, I'm on you today. And there are other days I've, I jump right out of bed, and I just got to make sure that I don't pull the covers off my wife. I'm like, dwing! I'm like, toast out of the toaster, and I'm ready. It didn't make gravity not exist because I didn't feel it at that moment. There are just some moments I feel it, and some moments I don't. Please hear me. Truth is truth, whether you feel it or not. You could say, but I feel, and I feel, and I feel. Let me say this. Scripture says that Jesus is the head of the church. And the head of the church is the part that has all five of your senses. Seeing, smelling, tasting, hearing, everything's there. But you cut off the head, there's only one sense left, and that's your sense of feeling. That's all over your body. And you remove Christ from the headship, and you'll be led by your feelings, because it's the only thing left. You find a church that's not led by Jesus, where Jesus isn't the head, it's led by his feelings. We're going to have another spiritual experience, and from that we're going to feel something, and that's our new doctrine. But wouldn't it be great if we were led by his truth, because Christ was the head and he steered us? But for that to happen, the body has to submit. And that's really rough. So please hear me. God's like, you really... So listen, I've picked this man. You don't have to agree with me, but I picked him. And because I picked him, He goes with me. Now, the issue isn't your problem with Moses, Aaron. The issue isn't your problem with Moses, Aaron. The issue is your problem with me. And God says, we're done. And then off God goes. And imagine the two of them are standing next to each other. Aaron's not looking over at this moment. Do you look at your sister at this moment and say, "Mm, you should never have. No, 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 no. We're all humbled at this moment, right? And somewhere down the line, Aaron looks at Miriam and he goes, Oh, right? Because now she's leprous, right? And she's right next to him. He's like, Oh, and he's like, Oh, Moses, please pray for us. Please let both of us don't get this. Look, at what it says. You get the idea why? Because it's like they were both part of it. But God, he, he, wouldn't you if, I mean, Guys, let's be honest. The first thing you're looking at is, Oh, I don't want that too. True? True? And he's like, Could you pray for her too? because don't let it be like this, that this is the way she would be. Do you remember what it said about Moses? He was the meekest man. You know what's so cool is now we see how. The same man that could have opened fire because th- this wasn't about God in Moses' eyes. It would have been about him, right? Who does Moses think he is? broken <laughs> man. They're giving us laws, telling us what to do. Okay, Judah goes over there. This is all God's commands. He's just being obedient. But in this, Moses could have mean, Think about how much Moses would have defended himself and how stupid that would have been. But he didn't. Because he was meek. And then, at a moment like that, how many of us would have been like, Pray for you, huh? I want to see some groveling. Right? some serious I'm sorry I want like a a new iTunes card you're doing my laundry and you're making me dinner for the year until we get into the promised land think of what you could have done we're talking about brothers and sisters here think about what brothers and sisters are like but Moses prays for them there's meekness Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. That's what meek look like. Now, we look at someone like David. David had his problems. You remember, there were times where David was good. And then we had times where David gets maligned by a woman who has a husband whose name is Fool. Her name's Abigail. And David gets insulted. and He's like, man, he's insulting me one too many times. I'm just going to kill his whole family. That was a bad moment for David. And you see the Psalms he writes at that moment. It's like prayers that are like, break their teeth in their mouth. And so when someone says, you know, I'll pray for my enemies, break their teeth in their mouth. And God's like, that's not the meekness I'm looking for. But I prayed. I'm like, God's like, that prayer from my heart, that's a numb prayer to my leading, is what that is. I'll tell you what a real prayer looks like. It looks like Jesus hanging on the cross and saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. And Luke, that's what it looks like. It looks like Stephen within a year who kneels down because he's being stoned by the same people who handed him over to the Gentiles to be killed and he says, Lord, please don't put this charge against them. That's meekness. And he calls us all to be that. And meekness, by the way, in its simplest sense, is not an absence of power. Meekness is not weakness. Literally, in the Greek, when we get to the New Testament, the word means it's spoken of as a broken colt. It is not that the cult is any less strong. Now it's just steerable. Before that point, it's just crazy. It'll buck you anytime you get near it. It'll kick you in the face. It'll do whatever. But the moment it gets rideable, now it's meek. And God says, I want you rideable. But the only one that's going to get up there is the Lord. That's the idea. So interesting, this is how it brings it to a a conclusion. So what happens is they say, please don't do this. Please don't let her be like this. And Moses then said, please heal her. By the way, the interesting thing about leprosy is that you don't go to a physician. You go to a priest because this is a spiritual issue. And then when you're done, you actually, I just think it's interesting because you don't actually, oh, it's, it's, I just love how the Lord works in all of this. Uh, you just don't go, you're either cursed or you're cleansed. It isn't like you're either, you know, well or sick. And God's a healer. But ultimately we cleanse her. That's the point of this is that understand if you have this bitterness and this comparison in your heart and you're allowing this to get into you at this point and you're comparing yourself to someone else and you're wondering why you ain't it right now or somewhere down the online, even if you just have bitterness, I've heard it said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison to punish your enemies. It's making you numb to God. He doesn't want it. Hey, Jesus says it this way, by the way. And Mark I'm sorry, Matthew chapter six verse fourteen, that if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you yours. But if you don't forgive them their trespasses, well then your father's not going to forgive yours. In other words, Jesus says, Well, oh, you're welcome not to forgive anyone that you want to, as long as you're willing to go to hell for it. That's how he says it. So Moses prays, Please, God, don't let this killer heal her, would you please? And then the Lord responds. Remember how he had pulled out? And he comes back for a moment. And he says, look it. If a father had spit in, in, a, in a daughter's face, if the reason a father would spit in a daughter's face is because she had done something so disrespectful and dishonoring to him. We see that, by the way, even when a man dishonors the family right in Matthew 25, where, you know, your, bro- your older brother's married and he dies before having kids and you're to marry the girl in her stead. And if you say, no, I, I don't want her. You take off your sandal, she spits in your face, and you're known as the guy with one sandal that spit on your face. Now who's going to marry that guy? This is even if that were the case and she had been disgraced for dishonoring her father, wouldn't she be out of the camp for seven days? That's what she did. She dishonored the father. She dishonored the Father because she had a problem with some guy. Hey, look, there are some guys out there right now. They're on TV or they're wherever, and you're like, why doesn't God blast them? Strangely enough, even the weirdest of these guys people get saved by. Somehow, maybe out of a mistake, the gospel falls out of their mouth. But people still get saved by that. And the the issue, by the way, I've learned is if we want to spend all our time criticizing somebody else, even if we think they're coops and they might be, then we probably aren't doing anything God's called us to do. So I want her out. So guess what? For a whole week, Miriam is going to sit out with the ashes, with the quail, with the graves. So remember that other craving that killed those people? This craving could have killed you, but out of mercy I didn't. And it tells us here that we couldn't journey until she got back in. Hey, maybe your walk is stunted right now. Maybe God, remember this whole thing is a Christian walk it's not just a Christian sit and maybe right now there is bitterness and the Lord has brought you in here today to hear this so that today it can be dealt with you're like I don't have the power to forgive God's like I know that but if you said yes to Jesus he'll come inside of you and forgive them for you through you he can do that you become his tool His vessel. Forgiveness is fundamental. But you're not going to walk and you're not going to leave this place which, by the way, I remind you was called the Graves of Craving and we went from there and moved from there to a place that was called an enclosed yard. You're not going to be able to move to the next place. Your walk's going to be stunted until this gets dealt with. The good news is God can deal with it right now. And if you're like, God, I don't even have the power to forgive, but I know you can forgive through me, please do so. God's going to start cleansing you. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to start softening your heart. And then God brings the girl in again. And afterwards, the people move from there to a place called the wilderness of Paran. Can you say Paran? And the word Paran, by the way, literally means to shake the tree. It's to make oneself clear. It's to go beyond and to really make something. And it's interesting because that's exactly what's going to take place in the wilderness of prayer. And by the way, God's going to really shake the tree. But please hear me as we go to prayer and then we go to letting God set us free and then we go to praising Him for that freedom. Today, God wants you unchained. He wants to put to rest What you've been carrying all these years. I'm not telling you that that person didn't do something horrible, say something horrible, mean something horrible. I'm not telling you that that person wasn't mean. I'm not telling you that you didn't experience horrific things. But I am here to tell you God can free you from that. And holding on to it doesn't punish them, it punishes you. Do you really want to do that? He wants to set you free. And you know how you know when you're free? When you start praying for them as Moses did here, God healed them, deliver them, set them free. That's when you know He's healed you. He set you free when He makes you meek in the process. How do I know that? Because I'm, a, I'm not only the, the president of this company, I'm also the client. Now, I can tell you, I mean, I can, I've watched God heal me from all kinds of weird things that I could easily entertain His bitterness that would have taken me down for the rest of my life. I know God wants to set you free. Please hear me on this. Jesus did nothing to deserve any punishment. And his face was covered in spit. Spit that I deserve because I've dishonored the Father. I've made a mockery of his provision. I've been foolish to chase after empty things. I've sought things that weren't mine. today I know confidently as a person who walks free what it's like to be deburdened from them to be cleansed from these things hey maybe today you're hearing this and you don't want to be numb anymore good Jesus died on a cross and he had the opportunity listen remember when they offered him wine mixed with gall do you know what that does? It numbs you. And he refused it. He wasn't going to take our punishment numb. And by his stripes we're healed. He died on a cross for your and my sin so we could be set free. Made new. No longer slaves to our past. That's out of our camp now. No longer in bondage to who we were. The taskmaster, the emptiness. And hey, look at, I want you to know... That there is not a person here that I see as a person of your past. We have pastor's wives that have gone through unbelievably horrific things, but you wouldn't know it if you met them. Because they're not that person anymore. So as we pray, let me ask you first of all, Jesus died on a cross to pay for all of who we were, all of our sin, all of our fear, all of our doubt, all of, our hor- all of the bad things nasty stuff that would separate us from him and he rose from the grave understand the death is to let go of the past and the raising from the grave is to give us a brand new life now with him as Lord remember how it started with him being your savior have you let Jesus become your savior have you said yes to his gift on the cross for you? it's a simple gift and it's a simple choice it's a yes or no. He doesn't even give you an A, B, C, or D. This isn't like Buddha, Muhammad, whoever else, and some guy with a robe. It's Jesus or no Jesus. It's a yes or no. He's the only one who paid for your sins, and he offers it to you. And if you say yes today, he's going to make you brand new in this room right now. If you have said yes to him, is he your Lord. Do you not just need him, but do you want him? That's my prayer right now. Will you pray with me, please? Thank you, Lord, for this amazing text. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you lead us. Now, you've led us today to a very important juncture in our walks with you that place where that place where we are again recognizing we don't have the strength to do what is necessary. But you've not asked us to act for you to respond. You've asked for us to surrender so you would move in us. And so I start, Lord, with every person here who may not, or is sure they haven't, or is not sure if they ever have, accepted your gift on the cross. By the power of your Holy Spirit, show them that simple choice to accept your payment on the cross and your resurrection to lead them in your Lordship. And in this room right now, and within the sound of this voice, if you would like to accept that gift of Jesus Christ, hear this prayer, and at the end, I ask you to give a very simple and confident Amen. And what that means is you're saying, so be it, I agree, let that be my prayer now. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, I'm a sinner. You know what? I know it. And you tell me the wages of my sin is death. That I'm separated from you because of my own selfishness, my own crimes. But Jesus, you died on the cross so that those crimes could be properly punished and rose from the grave to offer me a new life where I don't have to live in its condemnation anymore. And so if that's really what you did, then I say yes. I say yes to your offer. Yes, proclaiming you, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior, my payment, my forgiveness, my purity. I say, yes, have me now. I gladly take your gift and choose to follow you now as my leader, my Lord, my life. So here I am, I'm yours. Jesus, in your name. If you agree with that prayer today and you want to say yes, I want to say yes to Jesus. Give me a good, confident, Amen. Lord, I pray for every person here who has said yes to you, either right now for the first time or many years ago. Lord, do not let there be any root of bitterness in us whatsoever. Lord, we're not denying that horrible things have happened to people, and even us. But Lord, today you don't want us to be enslaved by some act of terror in our own hearts, as if we keep punishing ourselves for something that happened before But Lord, today set us free to forgive, set us free to release, to let go, to finally put to rest this bitterness or jealousy or rebellion that comes from it. The numbness in our hearts, God, because we've been so consumed with ourselves that we're just like, this is just who I am now. This will never change. This is just who I am. But today, Lord, you have better because you are magnificent and wonderful. And so, Lord, be the very center of our lives and set us free now. What we cannot do, you can do through us. So, Jesus, forgive through us. Let us let it go. And if we want to pick it up and it becomes a bench press where it keeps coming on us and we keep pulling up, remove it again and remove it until, Lord, we don't even get near it. So distance us from that place of barrenness from that place of the graves of craving, from that fenced-in place, fenced in because of this, that we could be set free now to go to where You've called us to be a place flourishing and of abundance. So we commit ourselves to You, Lord, and pray You would set us free now, even as we praise You in Jesus, in Your name. Amen.